Pain Talk, a podcast for patients living with pain and those that care for them. Now here's your host, palliative and emergency care physician, Dr. Maureen Allen. Welcome back, everyone, to another Pain Talk podcast. Today, we're going to talk about pain self-management programs. These programs are near and dear to my heart. They're really where we do all the hard work to help patients live and manage chronic pain. So today we're going to dig deep into pain self-management programs. What are they? How are they structured? Who might benefit from them? And how can you learn more about them uh, and where to access that information about these programs within your community? Now, I am going to focus more on Nova Scotia. Uh, so I'm going to give uh, individuals links to some of the Nova Scotia programs. Unfortunately, if you're living in New Brunswick, there are actually no pain self-management programs that I know of. So it can vary nationally uh, uh, throughout Canada. But I know in Nova Scotia, we do have quite a few programs. So here's what I know. Patients who are living with chronic pain and those that support them are doing the best that they can at the moment to manage that pain. I also believe that healthcare providers who are seeing patients uh, living with chronic pain are also doing the very best that they can at that moment. But when we know better, we need to do better. And this is really the basis of pain self-management. So imagine that you're given a diagnosis of insulin-dependent diabetes uh, and the healthcare provider uh, hands you over some insulin and some syringes and just says, go home and figure it out. You'll do fine. Well, literally, this is what patients are going to try and do. They're going to try and figure this out. That's what we're asking patients with chronic pain, and they're going to do the best that they can. Uh, so they will try. And sometimes they come back to us and say, look, I'm trying. I'm trying to get out there. I'm trying to do things, but it seems to be getting worse. So if I tell them, just get out there and walk for 15 minutes twice a day, you'll get better. The more you stick with it, the better it's going to get. Well, in fact, if you're living with a pain self-management, or sorry, if you're living with a persistent pain syndrome, if you just go out there and walk 15 minutes twice a day, you're actually going to get worse. And there's a good reason why. And we'll talk about that as we go along. But I know that patients are trying, and we sometimes think that they're not trying hard enough. But in fact, it's really understanding how chronic pain is so, um, can be so unpredictable and provide and contribute to so much uncertainty around uh, their pain flare-ups that they have to come about this in a way that can be more predictable, uh, that works within the uh, flare-up patterns that they might have. So they're going to get out there, they're going to push hard, but what they're going to find is that their pain is going to get worse and their flare-ups are going to get more unpredictable and more out of control. And they will become more discouraged. They'll become more frustrated. Uh, they'll, they can't understand why they can't get back past the significance of these pain flare-ups. And this often leads to what we call a chronic pain spiral. So this is where pain starts to take over their life. So they're trying to, to do what they can to stay moving. They're trying to stay connected. But the more they flare up, the more out of control, the more unpredictable pain becomes. And until they get to the point where they just don't want to do much of anything because they're not sure when these flare-ups are going to happen. So we call that a pain-centered life. So pain starts to decide everything. If they go out that day, if they eat that day, ideally what you want to do with a pain self-management program is get them to that function-centered life. So this is where they're living their life. Their uh, you know function is in control. It's not pain, but pain is still there, but it's not the boss anymore. So you're trying to switch them from a pain-focused life to a function-focused life. So what are pain self-management programs? They are evidence-driven, 
cost-effective programs that provide information and teach very practical skills on how to live and manage chronic pain. So it's a very similar format to a diabetic clinic where information is exchanged, skills are taught, mostly to empower individuals to live and manage their chronic or complex conditions. So some people have actually argued that pain self-management programs are no different than another program you'll see out there called Your Way to Wellness. And I, I would argue that they are very different. They're very different in many ways, in particular around the activity pacing and also in our understanding of central sensitization and peripheral sensitization. You won't see that with other conditions. Uh, so it's not a characteristic that we talk about in conditions like diabetes or heart disease or lung disease. So I believe that uh, pain self-management programs are more appropriate for people living with chronic pain, and they actually bring in more uh, specific um, uh, situations or si specific types of challenges that would face the patient living with uh, chronic pain that you won't see with other conditions. So, it, you know, it's a group setting. Uh, and education is provided about persistent pain and the different factors that can influence the experience of pain, especially pain flare-ups. So some of the strategies uh, that you, the areas or the topics that you might hear, see uh, discussed are things like activity pacing, you know, how to get moving uh, without getting some flare-ups, looking at posture and body mechanics, so that pain protective behavior or that pain tuck that you see sometimes where people often get into these protective uh, poses uh, because of the pain that they're experiencing. So understanding the importance of posture and body mechanics, looking at how to get people active, getting them into an exercise program that is not going to flare them up, even aspects of like nutrition. So we know that in our most recent podcast, we talked to Lauren McNeil, who's a dietitian, talking about the value of understanding nutrition and how that influences pain as well. Other topics include sleep, you know, how to set boundaries. So uh, looking at the, uh, the role of medication or pharmacotherapy. Uh, what about self-talk? You know, typically patients who are living with chronic pain tend to be very hard on themselves. So trying to dispute some of the negative beliefs around, um, around their ability to, uh, you know, do activities and carry through with things, um, the, those are the kinds of things that we like to talk about. You also bring in some skills like relaxation and mindfulness. So this is really about trying to get them to that place of calm, trying to change that uh, chemistry in our body from an alarm chemistry to a more calming chemistry. And in fact, one of the most powerful tools we have to get to that place of calm is through our breath. So, and it's very hard when you're living with pain because your body is in that alarm state, in that chaotic state all the time. So other pieces that can be important around the communication. So how one of the most frustrating things for patients living with chronic pain is other individuals looking at them and saying, well, you don't look like you're in not, you don't look like you're experiencing pain, and that is really frustrating for patients who are experiencing pain because most patients don't, people don't know what they're feeling. So what they're feeling is very real to them, but other people may not see that because they're very good at hiding that. So this is, these are some of the topics that we go through in, in, the, uh, in the program. So who's it for? Who's pain self-management for? It's for anyone with persistent pain who has an interest and a willingness to learn more about their condition, to participate in group discussions, and to try new self-management strategies. Now, everybody's going to be at a different stage in their recovery. So this is, this is around uh, their readiness to change. Some patients who are living with uh, persistent pain are really still in that mindset that they want this fixed. 
They want someone to, uh, you know, make all of this go away. So they're still in that acute pain kind of treadmill. And, and so that's okay. That's all right. The journey is theirs. So we need to support them through that. But when they're ready to make that shift to a chronic pain mindset, then what we're hoping is that the pain self-management will offer them some skills and some, some tools to uh, learn to manage their complex pain. So the program actually originated in Canada. A lot of people don't realize that it actually started in Memorial University in Newfoundland. And there were some very, uh, Sandy Lafort, uh, being one of the movers and shakers around this, has done a ton of research in this. It was also co-designed with researchers at Stanford University in the U.S. So they developed a standardized format, which has been shown and validated to help patients to manage and live with their chronic pain. Um, and in, even in our own pain self-management program, because we do all kinds of screening before patients come into the program, screening for you know their pain focus or that disability focus, um, fear of movement. Uh, there is a scale that we do called the Beck Depression Scale, which just looks at how depressed patients are. And this comes from a feeling of lack of control. And it can be significantly elevated in patients, but we don't always jump in and treat that with medication. In fact, if the patient is open to going through pain self-management and we come back at the end of the program to retest them, almost all their scores improve. And two of the biggest shifts that often happen with patients uh, in in how patients look at or mind, manage their pain is they start thinking about it differently and they start to get a better handle on these these pain flare-ups, which can be devastating. So that's a couple of the really big things that we often see. So I just want to remind us the chronic pain flare-ups um, are these uh, increase in baseline pain that can last hours to days. And this is often where, so if your daily intensity is 5 on 10, these flare-ups can go off the scale. Like they're 10 to 15, and they can be there for hours to days. Um, and when you get worked up, so meaning that if they do more testing in that, in that scenario, often there's no real change in your investigations. It doesn't make it any less real. In fact, it is very real. But it's not caused by any new condition or progression of a pre-existing condition. So the investigations that are done are essentially unremarkable. And we know that there are lots of things that can cause these flare-ups. So activity is probably the biggest one that we see. So uh, patients are often approaching activity the same way they did with acute pain or before they got chronic pain. And this tends to flare them up. So they can be a, what we call a boom and buster. They kind of push through activity. And this gives them some intense pain. And then they're flat on their back for three or four days. Or they can get into a mindset where they don't want to do anything. And that also causes significant flare-ups. When you're not sleeping well, that can be another aspect of the flare-ups. Um, and uh, so there's all kinds of things. There are some medications that actually can contribute to flare-ups. And opioids are the classic one, especially the short-acting opioids. So patients are often experiencing uh, tolerance and withdrawal. And so that tends to cause these flare-ups to also happen. As we know as well is that opioids can also cause sensitization, which is the uh, amplification that happens within the pain system. We call this opioid-induced pain. So it is very important that opioids get uh, explored and examined, whether or not they're helping the patient or maybe contributing to these significant flare-ups. 
So plain self-managements are often offered in multiple sessions. So we usually have about eight or nine sessions that go once a week for two hours. Usually we do ours one to three in the afternoon because a lot of patients find it very hard to get moving in the morning. So um, we teach these programs with a physiotherapist, an occupational therapist. We have a psychologist and we have a physician. So I play the role as a physician. Individuals that are teaching these programs have a real interest in chronic pain and really understand chronic pain. And we try and bring in current pain science. Um, we try and bring in current uh, evidence around medication, as was, was mentioned. So we bring in all kinds of different uh, topics. Um, we also use uh, other types of therapies like art therapy, so people can actually express how they're feeling about that pain or what it feels like to live with chronic pain. And it's very powerful for individuals to see what that looks like in a piece of art. And as mentioned, what I find are the most powerful tools that patients often develop through the pain self-management is that they start to get control of those pain flare-ups. They start to think differently about the chronic pain, how they can actually start to have some impact and how they live with that pain. They start to understand and how, how to manage and recognize these, these flare-ups and are not so much afraid to start moving and to start to feel that they've uh, got some significant control. I just want to take a second just to talk about how to get active if you're living with chronic pain. And this is something that we call, call pacing. Now, we do go into this more in depth in uh, the pain self-management program, but if somebody is listening to this podcast and really is trying very hard to start moving, this is sort of a strategy that you can use. So what's important is you cannot wait until your pain goes away before you start moving because the pain is not going to go away. Does it mean it's always going to be intense? No, it can get better. And one of the ways, and I actually had a patient say this to me, is that when you're trying to get active and what pacing does is it actually helps to retrain or reboot the pain system, just like a computer that's not working properly. And it makes so much sense when you think about this. So what the activity does, especially activity that's done in a predictable way, that is done in a way that you can do it on a good pain day or a bad pain day, so you can't let pain decide if you do the activity or not, is that it starts to create some calm within the pain system and it starts to create some predictability. Getting active, so you want to find an activity that you want to do that feels safe to you. If you're somebody that has knee pain, walking is not going to feel safe, but maybe getting into the water will feel safe. So if you have a local pool or if you want to get on a bike, if that feels safe, that's good too. So we'll use walking as an analogy because that's what I know the best. So you're going to start with a flat surface. No hills, don't go through the woods. There's so many uneven surfaces there. That's going to create a little bit of uncertainty and it's not going to feel very safe. So you want a flat surface, has no hills, and it's going to be smooth. So ideally, if you have a treadmill, that works really good. So we'll talk about a treadmill because that makes a little bit more sense. And you want to keep the intensity very low. You don't want to change the elevation of that treadmill. And what you're going to do when you start is you're going to say, okay, what is the pain intensity as I'm starting? So it might be 5 on 10. It's going to be unique to each individual, but 5 on 10 may be where your intensity is, or it may be 6 on 10. And then what you're going to do, set that treadmill maybe to 3, so very low, and you're just going to start to walk very, very slowly. And what you want to do is to pay attention to when that pain starts to go up to 6 or 7. When you start to see that increase in pain to 6 and 7, you want to kind of look at your watch and say, how long did that take? So every person is going to be different. So it might have taken six minutes. It may have taken two minutes. It may have taken, you know, 10 minutes. Whatever that time is, 
the ideal time for you to start your walking program would be half of that. So if it took you 10 minutes, the ideal time to start is actually going to be at five minutes. And the reason why we start at that low level is that that time is going to feel safe. And you have to stick to that time. It doesn't mean you're going to stay at that. So I'm going to show you how to progress here. So you're going to start at five minutes. And you might do that five minutes twice a day. And you're going to find, so the best time to plan that time would be the night before. And believe it or not, planning the night before, already the brain knows what's going to happen the next day. Because the way it is right now for most of you who are living with chronic pain is that you don't know how you're going to feel day to day. So just by saying to yourself, okay, tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock is a good time for me. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to walk five minutes. And you're going to keep it at five minutes. You're not going to do more, even though you might feel better. And you're still going to go do it, even if you feel crappy, right? Because you can't let pain decide whether you do it or not. Um, now, mind you, if you go at that five minutes and you're getting some flare-ups, then maybe you have to readjust that time even further down. I've had patients that have been only able to do maybe a minute so, or even 30 seconds, it doesn't matter. Uh, or even just sort of sitting standing, so looking at standing tolerance. But we'll come back to the walking again. So we're going to use five minutes. So you're going to set that for the next day for 10 in the morning, and you're going to get on that treadmill, and you're going to walk for five minutes, and you're going to stop there. No hills, constant steady rate. It's going to stay at a very low number three. And maybe what you'll do is do it twice a day. So once in the morning, once in the afternoon. If you can do that for three or four days without getting significant flare-ups, if it's under 10 minutes that you're doing, then add uh, 30 seconds. So you're going to plan the progression very carefully. If you're over 10 minutes, you can actually do 10% of the time. So if it's 30 seconds that I'm going to add to that five minutes, in four days' time, if I'm not getting significant flare-ups, then I'm going to go up to five minutes and 30 seconds. So that, And then I'm going to do that for three or four days and if I'm not getting any flare-ups. So you can see how that progression can actually happen. So you can use time. You can use distance. So I can look when I, if I decide I'm going to walk out on my road and I see a telephone pole, I can use that. So that seems like a safe amount of time. So this is, this is how you can actually do pacing. And so it's starting at the right time with the right activity that feels safe and stick to that and plan the progression. Uh, so this is called pacing. So um, when we look at other things that we talk about in the pain self-management program, medication is also a very important part. Um, we spend a lot of time talking about uh, medications that are very topical. So right now, what's very topical are opioids and cannabinoids. And I'm going to do a few podcasts on cannabinoids. It's a very hot topic. We know that patients are getting benefit. What seems to be delaying is the evidence that we need to kind of give patients guidance. But I'm going to talk and in, in, get into that in another podcast. So the important thing about medication is that the goal of medication is not to take the pain away. It's rather it's to improve your function and also to improve sleep without getting you hungover in the morning. So some of these medications just make you feel very hungover in the morning. If we get a 30 to 40% reduction in pain with medication, that is considered successful. So that's really important. It's not that 80 to 90% that we'll see with acute pain. It's that 30 to 40%. And because most of these medications work in the central nervous system, people often get into this mental fog. So medication is very limited. Can it help? It can, but as long as we know what the limitation is around the medication. So it's, it's really important.
So how do you sign up for a pain self-management program? So you can ask your family doctor. Uh, there are uh, programs where patients can self-refer. So Halifax, uh, Dartmouth, Windsor, Yarmouth, they can actually self-refer. And if you go into the webpage, Nova Scotia Health Authority, Chronic Pain, there will be a page that comes up. And if you look far to the right, you'll actually see an icon or uh, it'll say pain self-management programs. If you click that, you'll actually find out where, where all these programs are actually set up. So Halifax offers their program probably four or five times a year, and they stick, they keep the program going for about four to six weeks. But in, in Halifax, you can self-refer. In my program uh, in our area, uh, we can refer through the emergency room. We can refer through the family doctor or nurse practitioners. So ideally, I think, hopefully we get these programs to a point where patients can actually self-refer. Uh, they're very, very valuable. Okay, so uh, what we'll do is probably uh, end that for now. So pain self-management programs, find out about them. Uh, these are programs that can make a huge difference to how you live and manage your chronic pain. It is a really good environment for support. It's not, it's mostly about education, but what you're going to find when you go into a group like this is that everyone sitting in that room understands exactly what you're going through. So you don't have to explain anything. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to behave a certain way. Everyone understands what you're feeling. So it can be a really supportive environment as well. One of the episodes that we do is actually for family as well. So it's important that our family and the people that uh, we care about about understand what we're experiencing as well, because there can be some conflict in there as well. So one of the uh, programs that we do in our program is for families. And I think the other programs also um, do that as well. Thank you for joining us for another Pain Talk podcast, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Pain Talk. To learn more about our podcast and to find links mentioned in today's show, please visit our website at paintalk.ca.